Welcome to The Journey, a podcast series by Christ Life Ministries, focused on renewing, restoring, and equipping leaders. Well, welcome. This is Greg, the director of Christ Life Ministries, and this is The Journey podcast series, episode five. We've just completed the first leg of the journey, and we as a team just thought that it would be valuable to pause and bring in a person who's experienced significant life change to to talk to us about the nature of unprocessed wounds and distortions. His name is Chris Zarbaugh. He's the teaching pastor and the lead pastor of the Clinton Township campus of Kensington Church, and a man who's experienced both breakthrough but also brokenness as a result of unprocessed wounds and distortions in his life. Chris, it's so great to have you here. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. That's awesome. So, Chris, where were you raised? What was your family like growing up? Uh, Let's just kind of do the backdrop before you share uh, some of these stories of your childhood. Yeah, well, that's the reason why I feel like God has placed me on the east side of the state because it's filled with blue-collar workers in Clinton Township, and that's where I came from. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. And just about everybody who lives in Youngstown is, you know, we just punch the clock. We do it with what we're told, and we don't take no crap from nobody, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think that it's a, uh, it's, it's a God thing that he has placed me there because um, my childhood has been uh, challenging. Uh, it was a great childhood, but, uh, you know, we, we grew up. I was the youngest of five boys. Wow. Um, Broken home, mom and dad divorced, you know, dad married mom's best friend. And our family business was, you know, our family owned a bar. And so we spent considerable times uh, at that bar when I was really young. And, um, and uh, you know, we, I lived in a low-income housing development and uh, we, were, we were pretty poor. And um, so, yeah, I mean, just the challenges of growing up that way. Uh, had a lot of laughter, a lot of joy, uh, you know, a lot of great family bonds. But uh, just like anybody growing up in those environments, you have to deal with things. That's so good. So so now drop us into the part of your story. Here you are, a guy who's just pouring his life out for the success in the advancement of the kingdom of God and also just kind of the, the overall health of Kensington as a church. Uh, what happened that began to exposed that there might be some healing that needs to happen in your life like what was the pinch point what here you are you're you're leading a campus of 4500 and and uh everything seems to be going well but there were things internally and things at a kind of an executive level or a staff level that began to occur that that began to point a finger or maybe uh help you dry, draw some conclusions that there were some things that needed to adjust on the inside of you uh, yeah, so um, just to be clear, it was forty three hundred and twenty one was our highest. <laughs> but but yeah, but uh, the uh, what is, what basically has happened is is our church as a whole uh, was going through uh, and still is going through a pretty big transition. You know, mm-hmm. founders uh, retiring, these kind of things, and the last three years have been um, in a state of flux. Mm. So I found myself voicing my opinion to those above me more so than I have in the past. Mm. So we call that leading up. At least that's what I was thinking I was doing. Um, You know, so that term is, you know, you lead down, you lead sideways with your peers and you lead up. Mm. 
and leading up is the most challenging thing already. Um, and, and I thought that I was leading up and saying the things that needed to be said, but I was told by those people around me who, whom I love very much that, uh, yeah, I may be leading up some, but um, I, I may be doing it in some pretty unhealthy ways. Mm. And, and even when I heard that, I, I actually agreed with it slightly. I said, yeah, I understand that. And, and for the most part, they kind of said, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> and, and so they said, why don't you take some time to press into that? Yeah. And so I did. And uh, that's when I discovered that, yeah, I, there was a lot more um, unhealthy behavior there than I cared to admit. That's so good. So what we want to do with this episode is press back in. We're closing up chapter one, if you will, of the journey. And really at the heart, the center point of chapter one is, is the structures of healing. That, that any unprocessed wounds, if, you've, if we've experienced unprocessed damaging events in our lives, and unprocessed messaging for that point, if we've experienced damage like that and it's been left unprocessed, more than likely it will turn into distorted perspectives. Distortions then create or perpetuate disruptive emotion, and disruptive emotion will create uh, or propagate dysfunctional lifestyle choices. So we're going to use that as the backdrop behind Chris sharing the stories that he's going to in a few moments. We also need to remember or reflect back on lenses, that, that we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are, that we're bringing our past experiences forward always, every moment, even in this moment as I'm speaking into the mic with Chris on this podcast. I'm, I'm looking back, I'm unknowingly drawing from my history and bringing forward experience that's helping inform and empower the present moment. The real question is what happens when we're bringing forward pain and wounds. We're going to discover that um, through real life story right now. So one day I'm coming home from school. I just moved to this neighborhood, this really bad neighborhood, and I get off the bus and I was chased by uh, six guys, uh, you know, and again, it's junior high, right? So they're on their bikes, but they kind of ride through the woods and they're taunting me. And back then you're holding your books, right? You don't have book bags back then. Don't know why it took us that long to invent those, but um, and so I'm running with my books and papers are going everywhere, and I ran all the way home. And as I came in the house, my brother, my oldest brother, was lying on the ground. He was passed out from the night before. I got home from school, and he was still kind of on the ground in the bathroom floor. And <clears throat> and I came in the house, and I woke him up, and he got up and said, "What's going on?" And I told him, "This guy Mark, right? And I'll just use his first name. This kid Mark is picking on me, and he." You know, he's outside, and so my oldest brother got up, and he looked uh, out the window, and he said, let me tell you what you're going to do. He says, you're going to go out, you know, in the backyard, and you're going to grab a brick. He goes, and then you're going to just hold it behind your back, walk out the driveway, walk right up to the biggest guy. Who's the biggest guy? I says, well, that would be Mark. He's the leader. He said, yeah, walk up to the leader, hide the brick behind your back, and then as soon as you get close enough to him, smash him in the face. Oh, no. <laughs> and he said, and he said, and when you do it, he said, do it, you make it count, try to, you know, break something, break his jaw or whatever. He says, and he will go down on the ground. He says, and when he does that, he goes, this next part is really important. He said, I want you to act crazy. I want you to hold the brick out. I want you to look at the other five guys and shout 
and just go crazy and, and, and yell, who's next, Mother Teresa? Only it wasn't Teresa. <laughs> right? And so he, he said, just do that. And I said, well, what happens if they jump me and they, and, they, and they hit me? And he said, no. He says, you hit the biggest guy first and the rest will fall. Mm-hmm. He goes, then they're going to run. Or, you know, hit, hit, you know what I mean? Hit the biggest guy first, he'll fall, the rest will run. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he said, besides, if they jump you, he says, I'm right here. I'll run out and save you, which I thought was a pretty good deal, right? So I went outside and grabbed a brick, did did it, and I walked over to Mark and hit him, and I didn't hit his jaw or break it, but I did hit him in the side of the head. Oh. Uh, and, and then he went down, and I, I did it. I yelled as, as loud as I could, and sure enough, I kid you not, all five kids got on their bikes and left Mark on the ground in front of me. And then I just looked at Mark and I didn't know what else to do. So I just walked away, went back in the house. And then my brother said, listen, this next part is really important. When you go to school the next day, do not share this story. Do not embarrass Mark. Do not embarrass his friends. And they will never bother you again. Okay, dude, this is a this is like a big celebration moment for I mean, this is a breakthrough moment for you as a kid. Right, right. So I, I did that. I went to school the next day. I never embarrassed them. I never spread the rumor. And, and they never bothered me again. And, uh, and so what ended up happening was, <clears throat> I've shared this story many times, but through my journey with you, Greg, you helped me understand that those were pivotal informing years in my life. I was just coming out of the sixth grade and um, going in the seventh grade. And what I, what I understood about my timeline was before the brick story, I was always picked on. And, and picked on in a really, really nasty way. I mean, the things my older brothers did, they, they didn't mean to be cruel. They just would do pretty extravagant things. And that's just kind of the humor of my household. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we love each other to death now. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's comical, but it's not so comical, right? It's one right. of those things. Yeah. And so before the Brick story, it was always kind of that way. But after the Brick story, I realized that that was my hero story. Yeah. So my brother would actually share with his friends about how awesome his little brother was. Yeah. Because in, in some ways it was like him and the way he grew up. You know, that Animal House 1979, John Belushi. Totally. Uh, you know, you know, that kind of atmosphere. So um toga parties. So anyway, the, the bottom line is is what I understood as I was sitting there and sharing that story, and we spent hours and hours and hours talking about my childhood, and then my current situation where I was leading up in unhealthy ways, I believe, Greg, it was you, is this defining moment where you said, Chris, I think you run your board meetings like you do your, you know, with the brick. He said, <laughs> you, said, you said, you walk into a meeting that's challenging with leadership and you look at the biggest guy and you basically take him out, yeah. you know, and, and you, with your words, not with it, not physically, but with your words. And you'll basically say the harshest things in the in the in the plainest and most blunt ways. And then once you take them out, you look at everybody else sitting around in the chairs and say, Who's next, Mother Teresa? (laughs) (laughs) And so only only it's not Mother Teresa, right? So um and and I realized that was the huge moment for me that I realized, wait a minute, I do kind of do that. Mm. And I never realized that. I was taught early on, and I, it was celebrated in my life, that this is the way that you handle problems. If you have somebody that's, you know, big and giant in front of you, and he's, you know, he's somebody that needs to be dealt with, 
you take them out and you take them out, you know, at the knees. So here's the question. If you were to attach verbiage, if you were to attach descriptors to the season prior to the brick, what was your experience? Like from an emotional standpoint, was it uh, you felt broken, weak? What, what would be some words that you'd use that would uh, capture or, or paint a picture of that season? Well, I mean, I, I would have never been able to say this without uh, more, you know, due diligence, right? We, we've done hours and hours of work here. Exactly so right. it's only based on uh, discovery alone. I would never have been able to identify. But I realize now that um, there was no sense of control in my mm. life. Uh, I, I wasn't able to control any hardship. Uh, there was a sense of abandonment. There was a sense of uh, fending for yourself. And I, and honestly, uh, I didn't re- even realize this, but it was even a trust thing, where I knew kind of my family was there to love me, and and certainly they would be there. To, they would have my back if something were to happen to me. But in terms of having to deal with things in my life, or go through things, or experiencing things, and certainly when it came to overcoming things, on, I was always on my own. Okay, so that's so good. So this moment provides for you a way to garner or gain control of an experience that seemed kind of out of your hands prior to that that one moment that life-shaping moment for you is that it yes and um and i i think that i i i don't think i realized how powerful uh it was for me to learn that like i i mean that was a learned thing that i wasn't even able to uh, identify or even articulate, you know, just this feeling and this thing that I experienced uh, that was so, you know, I just kind of ran back to that which was affirmed and learned in my life. And uh, and, I, and I realize now that this isn't, by the way, the only story, right? This, this, is, this is probably the story, uh, you know, maybe a, a defining moment, but, but I can give you a dozen more stories that are pretty similar, right? Come on, man. For for those of us who are listening right now, you're sitting in your home, maybe you're driving in your car, maybe you're taking your dog for a walk. What we're getting at here and what Chris has so masterfully communicated is this simple reality that we've hit several times in this podcast series, that if you have wounds that have been left unprocessed, if you, have, if you didn't have a mother or a father or an uncle or a brother or somebody that had a godly perspective that could help you wade through the, the, these seminal events of your life, more than likely, distortions will come online, distorted perspectives. Uh, Chris just communicated his brick story. The, the event being the, the terror that goes along with being bullied and, <clears throat> and then the breakthrough that came from taking literally brick in hand, smashing the guy onto the ground, yelling like crazy and feeling empowered, the empowerment of, of breaking through uh, and, and, and stepping into, again, maybe the best way to say it was an empowered life, that he had control of uh, what seemed like a life that was so out of control up to that moment. Do you see where that goes with his story? It leads to... Uh, a continuation, a second chapter, a fifth chapter, a tenth chapter of the same story just manifesting in different ways. Now it's in, uh, 
in his early years of ministry. Uh, even at this point in his life, it's it's in the boardroom or with uh, the executives of a a real successful church. He feels when he feels out of control, he's learned that he can be strong. Sometimes overbearing would overbearing be the right way to say it. You know, sure, overapply sure. yourself, and you can take control of the moment. Uh, and what that's ended up doing for Chris is creating what. What, what's been the result of that? In your weaker moments, in those moments with some of these staff members, what's that created? Uh, well, it's created uh, a breach of trust. Um, people thinking that, um, <clears throat> that you know, perhaps I'm out for my own agenda, uh, that I, you know, really kind of bulldoze people, that I don't honor people by, uh, you know, so I mean, so I've been, I've been told that, you know, I, I speak harshly and I, and I think to myself, well, hey, that's this is a meeting, and let's get down to brass tacks. You know, let's 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 call it for like it is. And and by the way, you can use any leadership podcast to to justify your your uh, you know dysfunctional behavior. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I've heard a podcast that says define reality. That's all I do, baby. I do it best. <laughs> you know, and uh, but but you know, the, the reality is is that I think I think that once I've discovered uh, my and you know, and not all of it, but just I've begun to discover my brokenness. Uh, I'm also discovering that people often live out their brokenness, and the things that they learn, they're they're living out their brokenness in almost every way where they'll make me angry, and I'll say like, "Oh, this guy said this or that," and then I'm starting to realize, wait a minute, it's not because this guy's a jerk; it's because this guy is living out a part of his own brokenness. So it gives you it gives you a heightened sense of compassion instead yes. of just being ticked off and wanting to lash out. Yeah, because I'd like to think like I'm a good guy. Right? <laughs> and so then I'd like to think like, hey, that guy's a good guy. He's just living out his own brokenness. Okay, so that's so good. So that's one of the changes that's come online as a result of your own healing journey. Uh, if you had to take a snapshot of what you would perceive uh the people around you have got to be freaking out at this point. They're like, who is this Chris Sarbaugh guy? In fact, you've even mentioned, you know, Chris Sarbaugh 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, uh, representing the change and the healing that you've experienced. So what's changing now? If you gave me one or two things, if you're in one of those moments where you're triggered, strong leadership, maybe um, uh, communicating direction that you might not agree with, I mean, that quite frankly, that's life for all of us, isn't it? That we have opportunities to navigate through difficult times with strong leaders. It's just really the success or, or, or learning how to do it God's way. Uh, removing brokenness is really the, the fastest track or the best path towards uh, building relationship and being more successful from a leadership standpoint. So what's come online for you? Yeah, honestly, I don't even have to think twice about that. Uh, the very first thing that I think of is I don't have to be in control. And, and, and my value does not come with my ability to either solve or to even add value to my organization or even be seen as a strong leader or to make great decisions because value is not earned. It is gifted by God and it is, it is mine. And so, and then I think that the second thing is not only do I immediately think to myself, Hey, I don't have to control this, but I always think to myself, Hey, uh, like all of this is just uh, going to be wrapped with relationship first, because 
you know, when you're dealing with people and you're trying to either solve a problem or deal with an issue, at the end of the day, if you listen to Jesus, Jesus was able to address every sin and dysfunction and at the same time just look past the dysfunction in people's lives and love the person, right? And so I immediately think to myself, hey, I don't have to control this. And I love this person, even if I disagree with them strongly. And, and, and let's just, you know, continue to work together as two broken people, you know, just leaning on what Jesus would do, which is love. That's and so that's the very, and, you know, and it's, it's not a mindset change. It's a heart, it's a heart change. And it's a, it's an entirely new perspective, almost like an awareness where you, where you just realize, wow, it has taken me 49 years to realize that, uh, you know, that we all somehow carry these, you know, unprocessed wounds into our lives and we don't even realize it. And, and by the way, we've seen enough movies, right? <laughs> we've all seen enough movies to know that these are some of the major plots of some of the best blockbuster hits that we've ever seen. It's true. Uh, and, and we're able to even identify it because we're such a movie country or, you know, culture. But, but, but you know, it is true. Unprocessed wounds, you know, if, if left gone unchecked, uh, you know, they, they create dysfunctional, um, you know, uh, what, what did you call it? Um, they, dysfunctional they, they, life. Lifestyle choices. You you got it exactly right. It's yeah. it's these unprocessed wounds. They they create the fruit of unprocessed wounds is distorted perspectives, and then distortions create disruptive emotion that leads to <laughs> dysfunctional lifestyle choices. Dude, that's beautiful. And, and really, what we're getting at for those of you listening to this podcast is that God doesn't want to bring us just coping mechanisms. He wants to. John 16, by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, he will provide the processing that we never received as children or young adults or, or at whatever age the brokenness occurred. He'll come in and bring dynamic change if we'll allow him to. And when he brings his, his processing, all of a sudden distortions are removed, disruptive emotion begins to dissipate. And everything, all the power behind our dysfunctional lifestyles um, begins to change. And, and, and in doing so, it changes the primary motivations that we have, wrong motivations, to live the broken lives that we're living. Do we have time for one more story, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. So when we were, you know, trying to come up with different stories, I had, I had a lot in this category. But the one I've chosen to share is the haunted house story. <laughs> And um, so I was, I was probably around five, maybe years old or so, six maybe. And uh, we were a household that was pretty crazy. And I know that sounds strange to bring somebody that young through a haunted house, but, um, but that's just the way my household was. So um, again, five boys. And so my mom and dad were married at the time. So I remember my dad was the one taking us through this haunted house. And, and in Youngstown, actually, I think it was in Columbiana, we had to drive it was one of these haunted houses where if you got through it, it was so scary. If you got through it, you got a portion of your money back. Um, and so you, you actually had to go through three floors. It might have even been four floors. Did I get this right? You were five years old. You're five years old and you're going through this haunted house. Yes, five oh or gosh. six, yeah. 
and and I remember um, starting on the ground level, and then you have to go up three or maybe four. You know, you know how it is when you're young. You think it's four, maybe three, right? Right. You think it's incredibly high when you get to the top, but whatever. So either way, though, it, it seemed like forever. You, you go through and you climb stairs. And when you get to the end of uh, like where the window is on this top floor, you slide down on a slide, and then some guy chases you with a chainsaw or whatever. So, so anyway, on the <laughs> on the very top floor was uh, apparently my uncle Ray was working there, and my uncle Ray is like six foot three, uh, really really skinny, and he lived in Columbiana. Oh, it probably was in Columbiana. That's probably why I thought that. He lived in Columbiana, and he worked, and, and apparently, I was so young, I didn't care about the conversations my older brothers were having. So, in other words, my 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 father was telling all my brothers that Uncle Ray is on the top floor. But I'm so young, and, you know, my attention span isn't paying attention. I had zero idea that mm. my Uncle Ray was working there. So, we ended up, you know, going through this haunted house. I remember me being so scared that I was holding my dad's pant leg, and I was burying my face in his pant leg for probably three quarters of the entire thing. Oh, man. We get all the way up to the very top and we have, I could see the light at the end of the hallway. So there, there's the window, right? And so I could see it and, and, and there's a big crowd. And so, you know, the crowd's moving and it's not stopping. And we look to the right and there's a Frankenstein and he's really tall, approximately six foot three. <laughs> and so, and there's and the only thing that separated Frankenstein from us was just a wooden railing. So, you know, you're allowed to touch people, you get to sign something, you're allowed to touch people in this, and that's why it's so scary. So we're going through, and this Frankenstein walks over from this incredibly scary, you know, environment, whatever his little cubicle was filled with, and he walks over and he reaches over and he grabs me and no. I'm holding on to my dad's leg. Oh my god. And he's literally prying me away from my dad's leg. And I'm screaming, and I'm I'm saying, Dad, 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 and 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 uh, and then my brothers are laughing, and I didn't know why they were laughing. But then this Frankenstein guy pulls me over the railing and drags me back into all the headless, bloody people that oh are behind him. Gosh! And as he's dragging, I am I am screaming like I've never screamed before, and I remember the visual, because again, the line still is still moving. So my dad is literally walking away toward the exit, by the way, and he's walking away with my brothers, them laughing, and him turning around and waving at me no. and laughing, going, bye, Chris. No. <laughs> bye, Chris. <laughs> I am screaming at the top of my lungs, Frankenstein still pulling me back, and I'm just, I'm just devastated, right? I mean, I'm just, I can't even express the feelings I, I, I can still remember it. And here mm. I am, 49, right? Mm. This is, what, 40-something years ago. And then what ended up happening was my Uncle Ray looks down and he sees my face. And so he immediately, gosh, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. He immediately takes off his mask. And he hugs me and says, it's it's Uncle Ray. And he thought that I knew that it was him. And so he was so sorry. Uh, and then I just remember thinking to myself, okay, that's Uncle Ray, you know. And 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 then I had to climb back over and he helped me over. Then I had to run through the crowd to try to find my dad, you know, thinking that maybe he was gone already. But they were waiting by the exit for me. 
And, uh, and I just remember um, exploring that memory because again, that's just not something you forget. Right. Mm -hmm. And for years and years, you know, you, you look back at those stories, you, you retell them in your family and, uh, and they're, they're actually kind of funny. In fact, they're very funny. Um, but what I realized later on is that actually I have several stories that helped me realize that I think early on, I, 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 I got a sense that I was kind of on my own. That's so and, good. And, and yeah. And, and even, even when my dad left, you know, he married my mom's best friend and, and, and that was a whole, you know, drama days, daytime soap opera scene there. And, and, uh, and then with my mom being gone and I, I think I just, it was just reinforced in my life. And you know what, there's a lot of good that can come out of that. But the thing that we never realize is that, uh, you know, I, I have abandonment issues and trust issues. And there's a reason why I don't let people in. And that's because most of my childhood, I never did back then. Come on, man. So in other words, what you're saying, first of all, thank you, dude, for sharing that. But what what I'm hearing you say is that that event represented kind of a general overall, maybe a climate that you were raised in, and your parents did the best they could, man. I mean, they, they just did the best they could. You loved your folks like crazy, but there was still some brokenness there that you picked up. And, and why that's so significant for all of us is because we all have brokenness. And, and to the level that we're doing life, we're also, if you remember back to podcast uh, two, we're looking through lenses, and these lenses are created by past experiences, both good and bad, that we can, um, in fact, a way that you can begin to become aware of this is applying what we talked about last week, which is if you're feeling triggered, responding at a 10 when it should be a two in an event, and you can see a cyclical pattern to your over-responses, more than likely, there's some brokenness, like I have, like Chris has in his life, that have gone unprocessed, that are bringing all sorts of pain and heightened emotion to the moment. God is giving us awareness so that we can begin to invite him back into those broken areas to provide the processing that we never received as children. And again, when he comes and brings that processing, Put on the safety belt. Put on the seat belt. Your life is going to be become uh, more stable than it's ever been. It's gonna you're going to begin to experience peace and a slow dissipation of disruptive emotion. Uh, it's really the pathway to true freedom, and that's a freedom that you've experienced in your own life, isn't it? It is. Chris, thank you for joining us today and being so willing to crack open your heart to share your story and in doing so give the rest of us hope that God not only has the power to change a life but he's totally committed he's willing he's, he's longing to be the guest of the worst part of us that if we'd be willing to just open up the broken parts of our lives we'd find a God rushing in to bring the deliverance and the help that we so desperately need. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me, buddy. It was great.